Welcome to the For the Success Podcast. This is your host, Natalie Supes. In this podcast, I promise to ask the tough questions and to talk about the things others shy away from. You know, what it's really like to be sick and successful. The podcast is here to give you a boost of motivation, to give you the push you need towards following your dreams, and to be that friend you come back to week after week to talk about the real things in life and in business. If you have ever dreamt for more, if you have goals and are working towards them, if you dream of being successful, no matter what life's obstacles get in the way, this podcast is for you. Without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome back to the For the Success podcast. Today is an awesome day. We have a twin here today. We have Natalie Bulin, and she is a wealth and money mindset coach from Mobile, Alabama. She is the CEO of Unapologetic Wealth, LLC, wherein she teaches financial empowerment, money mindset, sales training for ambitious women entrepreneurs so they can step into the wealth they deserve and desire. She is also a financial planner who shuns traditional personal finance values rooted in shame, guilt, and fear, and encourages followers to dream bigger, increase their prices, and magnify their gifts. Natalie's mission, and I I love this mission so much, her mission is to eradicate poverty in communities of color by empowering women to charge for their value, their value of their services, maximize their gifts, and use that extra revenue to grow wealth. Welcome, Natalie. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. We're excited to have you. This this is such a topic that I feel like, you know, might be talked about in some communities, but really isn't in everyone's forefront. It's not in their minds. And it's something that we need to bring to the table and, and show women that they can charge their value. Yeah, I mean... The statistics are just horrible that you hear about. I learned that women own 51% of businesses in the United States, but we only generate 4.2% of the U.S. revenue in those businesses. Right. So the other 49% of the businesses are generating 96% of the revenue. Wow. That is a hard statistic to swallow. That's what I haven't heard before. It's really tough. And I mean... We are positioned to fail when you think about how people start businesses. And the easiest thing you can impact is your pricing. Right. That is the easiest thing you can target because you are in direct control of who you sell to and how much you sell it for. And until I got around people who were millionaires, who were selling high ticket, I didn't know high ticket was a thing. I thought a thousand dollars was a lot of money. Come to find out there are people charging 20, 30, 40, 50, a hundred thousand dollars for coaching. So just being exposed to that wealth mindset blew the doors off of what my business could achieve. And I want to do that for others as well. Absolutely. I love that so much. And yeah, just exactly what you said, like even just bringing awareness to people charge that for coaching and, you know, and, and, and people sign up, you know, without a second thought. And it is a thing. So Natalie and I are both part of a club called we should be millionaires. And that's how we met. Natalie is very active. And it's so funny saying my name, but it's like, I'm talking to myself, but I'm not. <laughs> Natalie's really active in this community. And the reason I wanted to have her on the show is because she is so knowledgeable about this topic. 
And it's something that I faced as well in the corporate world, knowing that the men around me are making more is such a shitty feeling, just being completely blunt. Like it's just, it sucks. And I was someone who negotiated my salary all the time. You know, I fought for every penny and still knowing people were making more because of their private parts. (laughs) Right. It has nothing to do with anything. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So tell me, what is your favorite thing to do with some of your clients? What is, you know, where you see the most transformation? My favorite parts, the beginning, I start every client now with rewriting their money story. And I'm getting more and more creative with this. I don't know if I'm going to create like a coloring book for them. I don't know if I'm going to actually get like a Mad Libs type of a game going, but I'm going to make it larger. But for now, we use pen and paper or digitally to rewrite their money story. And so if you grew up like I grew up where people were hard workers and that was the trait that got praised. And that was the compliment that you got. Oh, Natalie, your work ethic is so great. You're such a hard worker. That ingrains in you that you have to work hard to make money. And thus, if you don't work hard, you don't make money. I got shivers. My whole body is shivering. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, so yes. then your brain goes, oh, so I have to work hard to make money. So then anything that's easy, we stop doing. Anything right. we feel like is our gift. We do it for free or we stop doing it all together because we feel icky making money from something easily because we have been ingrained in the hard work mentality. Yep. So what would it look like if you rewrote your story into a story that was my gift will make room for me and I can make as much money as I want with ease? Mm. Then what would you do in your business? Would you still work 70 hours? <laughs> you know, right. like how would that change you? And we've seen really phenomenal success with that. That's amazing. So tell me a little bit how you get them to even get into that place where they can rewrite the money mindset story, like where they're willing to, you know, make those changes. You know, I am blessed that I have a network of professionals for referrals. I always tell people I am not a therapist, right? But I work with a financial trauma specialist who's a licensed clinical social worker. So her and I tend to work in tandem. If I meet with somebody and sense that they have a trauma around their finances, maybe they're avoidant to the point where they're not going to be honest with me about what's going on with their money. Then I have her and several others that I can refer people out to. In short, though, most of us could use talking to someone else. Sometimes that's a trauma sensitive or trauma informed coach, but sometimes that is actually a counselor or a therapist that can help you kind of heal that portion that has been beat up by The way that the world treats women, the way the world treats money, the way the world treats people of color. I think most people have some amount of trauma. She claims that 75% of Americans admit to having a traumatic experience in their lifetimes. I think that number is much higher. I think some people just are in denial about it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's so beautiful because I think, and I noticed this with a lot of my business coaching clients as well is a lot of people aren't even aware that there is some kind of money mindset story, you know, until they're ready to grow their business or get to the next level in business or, you know, start charging more. And then there's all the excuses come up like, well, you know, I don't even know this person, but there's no way she can afford my rates. That's it. Uh, I started off as a consultant. 
And yeah. all I did was meet with people and I took my um, knowledge. I, I was in banking for seven years and I was a small awesome. business advocate, uh, brokerage associate, a loan originator. So I could do the, the math. And so I would meet with people one time and they would run down all their services and I would run down all their prices and I would do the math and I would let them know whether there was any profit in it or not. And I did a, a profit intensive, essentially. And I'd send them off into the field to implement because that's what consultants do. You pay them to do the work and then you implement yourself. They wouldn't implement it yeah. because even if I told them in plain English in numbers, hey, there's 7% profit in this. And as a coach, that's like <laughs> restaurants are doing better. Yeah, like that yeah, doesn't yeah. make any sense, right? You should be 50, 60, 70, 80% profit margin. You, you're like 12 and they wouldn't raise the rates. And they're like, Natalie, this number you're giving me is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's not ridiculous. It's completely data-based. It's all of your expenses. It's your salary. It's your opportunity cost. It's your retirement. It's your insurance. It's how many clients you said you wanted to serve. And I divided it. And this is the number. This is the number you have to charge to have the profit you need to have to live the life you told me you wanted to live and serve the number of clients you said you wanted to serve. This is the number you have to charge me. No, no one's going to charge. No one's going to pay this. And that's when I realized people needed more. Every level you get to, you're going to face resistance. And I don't think we've done a good job of explaining that to people. People seem to be shocked when these money mindset demons kind of come up. And I'm like, that's what happens whenever you elevate. And that's what anything in life, if you decide to go on a fitness regimen, every time you turn up the resistance on that elliptical, it's going to burn. And we we all kind of know that intrinsically. We know that intensifying our workout is going to shock our bodies and be somewhat uncomfortable. We know that. So why is it you think you're going to go from charging 1500 to 5000 and nothing's going to happen? <laughs> Obviously, something is going to happen and you need to be prepared for yeah. what that something is. Yeah, I love that. Something I learned and I, I don't know what coaching program is to prepare for it before it happens. It's like, you know, I when I first started business in 2017, 18 as just a fitness coach, you know, I didn't niche down yet or anything. I was charging $50 a month for four one-on-one sessions. For four one-on-one. And I thought that was good. I ended, you know, at that I'm not, a lot. No, <laughs> yeah, or a little. <laughs> Depending on how you look at it, but I'm like, how are you not burnt out? Oh, I did burn out. I burnt out in in a couple months, you know, and and I quickly moved the price up and moved it up. Ended, I think, at 1500 per month for four sessions. And and I'm no longer doing that business. But, you know, it's funny at 1.50 was like, oh, I can't believe I'm making $50 like extra to my corporate job. And then at the end, 1500 was like, girl, you're getting so much value for this 1500, you know, that switch in. I am worth this because what you're getting and, you know, it's not that you're paying me for nothing. Like it's knowledge, it's years, it's experience, it's your transformation. But why, why do you think as women for us, it's so much harder and generalizing obviously, but it's so much harder to say, to see that value right up front where I, a lot of men who start businesses are like, I charge 20,000 for one month of business coaching. And I've never even had a freaking business before. Yeah. Um, well, Men have a great advantage socially, typically. So when you think about like dating, typically the man is the person who initiates things. Men hit on women all the time. We talk about how gross it is, right? They're cat calling and whistling and following and talking and we're not interested. But 
what men are doing is building up a muscle towards rejection because they're making 20, 30, 40 offers a day. <laughs> That's what a date it's is. True. That's what a friendship is. It's an offer. Right. That's all it is. It's an offer. Yeah. And if I say no to their offer and they can keep going and go, oh, you're lost. And that's the callus that you, you grow. Women typically are taught to be passive and wait for something, to wait to be asked out to prom, to wait to be asked into hand in marriage, to wait to ask for a raise. We wait till the annual review. We're taught to wait. Good things come to those who wait. Right. Women are taught to be patient and nurturing. And so that social conditioning tells us that you know, we just sit around long enough that something miraculous is going to happen. And we're super patient. We'll wait 10, 20 years on that miraculous thing to happen. And yeah. we're just not taught to be pushy. We're taught the opposite. We're just conditioned different socially. We also get different messaging in childhood. Right. So I used to teach financial literacy in elementary schools. And I did a lot of informal polling of these children that I later found scientific studies to back up. Women typically get taught, or girls, that money is not that important. Being happy is what's important. Do what you love and the money will follow. Have you noticed that boys aren't trained that way? Right. No one tells them they have to have fun or money or happiness or money. I've dated some engineers and they were so happy. They loved their job because they were tinkerers as children. They had drones and robots and computer hard drives in high school. So right. when they went off to work at NASA, they were elated. They were making yeah. 150K and they were happy to go to work and they loved what they did. It wasn't a, a either or. Have you ever wondered why there aren't very many white men that are kindergarten teachers? Right. Have you ever met one? I've never met one. What about a CNA, the certified nurse assistants that help with like toileting, um, type uh, diapering, toileting, the yeah. the like feeding? What about social workers? I don't know that I've ever met a white man who is a licensed clinical social worker in my life. Right? Why is that? Why is that? Why is it that only women can do these things that are magnificent but typically lower paid, and it just permeates into entrepreneurship? I found out, shockingly, that the gender pay gap actually widens when both parties are entrepreneurs. So we actually charge less, like we actually make less money um, when we price our own selves than when we have salaries in corporate. It's social conditioning for sure. Okay. So we have to tell you a little secret. Something happened. When we were recording the first part of the episode that you just listened to, my microphone literally out of nowhere just turned off. Like it was the craziest thing. It's never happened to me in 68 episodes of this podcast, but it happened to me. Natalie was so gracious. Her husband even tried to help me fix it. It didn't work. And so here we are, I believe a month and a half later, re-recording this podcast because uh, our schedules, Natalie and I's schedules are packed to the brim. We are both overachievers. So getting us together was a task, but we couldn't leave you hanging because that episode, the beginning of this episode was phenomenal. So we're back just in case it doesn't flow perfectly. It's Natalie here again. <laughs> Welcome back, Natalie. I'm excited. And I apologize that my tech curse killed your microphone. I cannot <laughs> admit publicly how many first time never happened before tech snafus have happened as me as the guest on podcast. The mic is gone. Like I use it for photo shoots now. It doesn't even work. It's the funniest thing. 
it no is one's what perfect. It is. Yeah. So let's get back into the conversation. Actually, I think honestly, I, I am a believer of everything happens for a reason. And I saw you post something yesterday that really was so real, so raw, so authentic. And I think it would be an awesome thing to talk about is when things happen in your business, when you lose income in your business, big chunks of income, because it's happened to me. It actually happened to me a month ago or two months ago where I lost four clients at once. And, you know, not to what we were doing, but just somewhere into good fit, you know, things happen. And it feels like in those moments, like, oh my God, am I going to be able to pay my bills? Even though obviously, you know, but you, your mind goes there when you're an entrepreneur and when you're the one bringing in the income. So I'd love to hear your story and how you're overcoming it because you're going through it right now. You know, it's really a gift when things happen in your business, good or bad. And so I've really worked to embrace the 10% positive in anything. So while it is unfortunate, if you ever have a client who cannot pay you, they economically just don't have the resources. Maybe they were waiting on a big contract. Maybe they were expecting a payment and it didn't come in. Or whether people are unhappy with your services or call your integrity into question or want to get out of their contract altogether, you have to think, what is the positive that I can view in this instance? Mm -hmm. For me, I had to look at the positive that my clients care enough about me to communicate if they're unhappy, that I have not cultivated a mealy mouth, sad martyr type of client that'll just pay me and, and be unhappy and then passive aggressively, you know, bad mouth me on the internet true, that, that yeah, I got feedback. And, and we claim that's what we want. We say we want it, but then we get it. Mm. What do we do? We turn our back on it. Oh, that's not true. None of that's real. I was perfect. They were wrong. Instead of saying, you know, there is some merit here. So I was able to take, you know, this very weird tumultuous revenue month and lean into some things. One of the things I leaned into was how can I improve my processes and onboarding so that a person who maybe is on the precipice of, of financial instability doesn't even enroll in my program. Mm. So I actually now have implemented a, a statement of financial health. And it's a document that, that we'll both sign that says, you know, that the client is solvent at this point, that they are familiar with the investment, that they are making it of their own free will, and that they have the financial resources, stability, savings, revenue, projections, husband, whatever, to ensure that I get paid and that their lifestyle can be maintained, regardless of whether they have a huge, sweeping, successful month or not, right? I don't want people who have stepped out on faith to pay me anymore. Yeah. I don't I don't want that. And, and I had a couple like that. I also have implemented monthly check-ins. So a form that's going to go out month one, month two, month three, indefinitely, you know, what do you enjoy about the program? What do you feel is missing from the program? What would you like to see more of? How can Natalie and Unapologetic Wealth support you going forward? That's going to give them an outlet to help me improve. It's also going to give me something in writing that states whether they were happy or not with the service so that you don't have people popping up month three, four, five. I'm unhappy and I've been unhappy for months and months and months. How could you have gauged that? And I had to admit, you know, other than checking in, I haven't really formally asked this person, are your needs being met in this program? Mm. So while it, it initially is painful and you always want to have a freak out when money is tight. In reality, there are things I could do better. 
Some of it's a fluke. It's tax season. A lot of people had to make a really big tax payment April 15th. So maybe that's why they weren't able to pay me on April 15th. So giving people some grace. And then how do you respond that makes people want to pay you? I um, hired a coach who I'm paying for a service I can't use just yet. Due to no fault of their own and no fault of my own, just the way things fell with scheduling, as we talked about, I'm not going to be able to start right now. But the second half of the payment was due and it's a four figure payment. And my card declined because the credit card I was using was maxed out. It's limits only like 5K and this payment was 2,500. So it just didn't go through. And before I could even go to my car to get my wallet, to get another card, she was emailing me. Mm. Hey, your card declined. Make sure you clear that up today. (laughs) It wasn't that brunt, but it was it was not from a place of, hey, are you OK? How are things going? You know, I know that we can't even start right now and I haven't done any of this work yet. Exactly. Would it help you to postpone the payment or if she wasn't in a position financially to be able to give me that just a touch point? It was it, it didn't feel good to me that within 30 minutes of this payment rejecting, there was an automated, hey, you owe me money instead yeah. of. Hey, are you okay? Because I've never paid late and she knows that about me. And so how, how are we treating people when they owe us money, when they have payment challenges, when they have issues with our contract, when they want to get out of the deal? How do we deal with Do we deal with them as people or as problems? And, and I've learned to, to treat people like people. I've also decided I'm not going to do payment plans anymore. So I'm going to meet with a third party funder, a company that actually takes that over. So if you want to work with me, you'll be able to pay me in full or you can sign up with this third party company. They run your credit. They ask you about your income. And if you're approved, you can take the proceeds from the loan and pay me in full with that. And then you pay that merchant. And that keeps the blurred line between I'm the financier and I'm the coach. Mm -hmm. Because at a certain point, if you owe me money for weeks and weeks and weeks, it is going to impact our relationship. I am going to have to move forward with the remediation in the contract and that will sever our relationship. Whereas if you default on a payment with another company, that's between you and that company. I got paid in full so we can maintain our coaching relationship while you work through your financial challenge. So lots of good things have come out of this almost $16,000 shenanigan. Lots of good things. And I, I think you just have to view it that way. And I think what's so important with, with everything you said is that that moment, that nugget you gave where talking about money doesn't have to be like dirty. You know, it doesn't have to be even when someone's defaulting on a contract, even when someone's committed and can't go forward. It doesn't have to be like, you know, I deal with it every once in a while. We have six month contracts where someone in in month one, or like I said, a couple months ago, four clients ended their contracts a little bit early. And that's never happened to me before. And having a heart, heart to heart connection with them. One client, we just weren't really a great fit. Just being completely open and honest, you know, they had a program where no matter what we did, no matter how much research we did, we couldn't meet their brand voice and that's okay. So we had that conversation, you know, doesn't matter how we make it happen. They were also a brand new kind of business or restarting this part of their business. They weren't a good fit. Another client, like you mentioned, lost a bunch of contracts and weren't able to fulfill the the contract they signed on our end. But instead of sending an automated message, I had a conversation and yes, they signed a six month contract with me, but if you can't pay me, I don't, I don't want to force you. You know, I don't want to force you. 
that makes a difference in a successful entrepreneur and someone who is, like you said, going to give a bad taste in the mouth. And you're, you're probably, I'm, I don't know what you did, but it doesn't make you want to go get your other credit card and, and pay them and clear that up as fast as you would if they were nice about it. And it can be conversations that we have. I know I've committed, I committed to getting my whole web, website redesigned and I paid half and the person just wasn't living up to my standards. Like, and I, the more the work they did, the more I hated it. So I just let it go. And I said, you know what? Thank you for everything you've done. Keep the deposit, keep the half. I'm not going to try to fight for that back. Let's end this relationship here. And that's it. Bye. It doesn't have to be such a negative thing. We can take the positive out of those scary months. Yeah. I literally remember thinking like, I'm going to shut down my business. I'm not going to be able to play my employees. Like we're never going to have any clients again. And and that spiral happened. So what did you do mentally when that spiral started happening? Hmm. Well, I'm in this new program called positive intelligence, and it talks about how to activate your sage. Most of us have a very loud inner critic, a, a judge, if you will, that's screaming at us all day. If we're honest with each other, most people have a negative voice. You're stupid. You're not worthy. You're not good enough. You don't know what you're doing. No one's going to pay you. You're not worthy. No one likes you. No one cares what you post. No one's going to buy from you. No one's going to pay that. Who are you kidding? And so when bad things happen, that voice is, is on fire. It's like, ha ha, I told you. I knew it. You suck. <laughs> yeah. Here's the evidence that I've been waiting for all that little success, you little imposter, ha ha ha. Right. So I've been working for years to quiet this negative voice that I think everybody has. It's been ingrained in them since childhood or adolescence or being bullied or big T or little T trauma and to activate their sage. And so some of the powers that the sage has, one is, is innovation is to innovate. And so how can I create new revenue streams to support the income that's missing. So I created a cash infusion Voxer offer. It's 30 days unlimited Voxer with me. It's a four-figure investment. I sold a couple of them. That's awesome. Easy for me. I didn't have to create worksheets and spreadsheets. It doesn't come with any framework. It's literally just stream of consciousness Voxer as needed. And I'll get back to you in 24 hours. There's nothing for me to build or create or, you know, it it wasn't, I need a team, me Voxer, okay? And another power the sage has is empathy. So I had to empathize with myself and say, you know, self, you're doing the best you can. Mm. You're doing a great job. And overall, your clients love you. Your, your Facebook folks love you. Your husband loves you. This is not a reflection of you. Your self-worth and your network are not correlated in any way. And this is not really about you. Sure, you can increase your efficacy and add to your onboarding. But in in reality, when people don't pay you, it's more a reflection of them than it is a reflection of you. And so then my sage said, you know, you need to empathize with those other people. How embarrassing must it be to be behind on paying a coach that coaches on money and mindset? Yeah, yeah. That's got to be the worst person to owe. You've got to feel bad at your core. You've got to feel like you haven't been implementing the teaching or the strategy or something, right? Because that's what I teach. Yeah. So empathizing with the person who couldn't pay their bill on time, whatever bill it is, I had to to give them some grace. 
I don't think it's malicious. I don't think anybody signs contracts and then no. decides they're just not going to pay them. So there's something deeper going on there, right? So my sage powers had to activate to overcome the judge. It's always saying what's wrong with you, what's wrong with people, what's wrong with your finances. It's always something wrong. And I tell people wholeheartedly, I don't get paid. I'm not an affiliate of this program, but positive intelligence has literally saved my life. It has really given me a replacement of some negative beliefs and habits that I most definitely would have slipped into had I not been able to address the truth of this situation. There's, there's how you feel. And then there's a truth. Yeah. And the truth yeah. of this situation is that I'm 34. I've been in business 18 months and ish happens. Yeah. Those are the truths. Yeah. Everything else is kind of really a feeling or an opinion or something, right? Those are the truths. And I'm excited to be able to see the truth for what it is and not be skewed by that hateful inner critic that I've done a pretty good job of quieting at this point. Yeah. And how beautiful is it that you got that lesson? You were able to implement those things and realize like, I don't want to be the banker anymore. I don't want payment plans. Now I get to be paid in full all the time. How amazing, you know, all of these beautiful lessons you get to learn from when these things happen. I'd like to switch topics just a little bit. I think we mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast, how Natalie is just like the Facebook queen, I feel like. And I think that's even amplified in the last month or month and a half since we had the beginning of the podcast. But I am in awe. I mean, I'm a social media manager. I own a social media agency. That's what we do is create engagement for businesses and social media is, you know, my day-to-day life. And watching you on Facebook is like, I don't know. It's like watching a case study. I don't even know how to say it. Like I am just there. Like, I've told people this. I was out the other day at dinner and I was talking about you because she gets a hundred replies to her Facebook posts. I don't see that with honestly, even like maybe celebrities. I don't know. I don't live on Facebook as much as I do on Instagram. You've done such a phenomenal job and it's, and you can tell it's from the heart. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? How it happened? What you're man. It's so incredible. It's, it's so strange. I think you know, my mom always told me that if you want friends, you need to show yourself friendly, to which I would say it's a good thing I don't want friends. <laughs> I've always been surly. It's a defense mechanism. I was bullied in adolescence, and apparently that did more to me than I'd like to admit. I've had birthday parties that were scheduled and planned for me that no one showed up to. Yeah. Which is weird. Like, it's your idea. You all sit a dinner and made a reservation and invited me to it. And then no showed me. That's heartbreaking. Like that's, that's but it's, it's just, it's bizarre. I wasn't yeah. even, I wasn't even sad. I was confused. I'm like, boy, you, this is really elaborate. Like you went way out of your way to try yeah. to disappoint me. Like why, what's in it for you? Mm. It's just strange. I don't know. I just, I don't understand people. I'm very introverted. I really don't give a damn what people think about me really. And truly I do not. And yeah. so all of those things together make for a really interesting Facebook feed. My Facebook page is a watering hole. I think there's lots of things that help me. You know, I don't have a website. It's down right now being revamped. It's another project. One of the few projects that's on pace right now. It's actually working <laughs> out. But if you don't have a website, you got to have somewhere for people to go to learn about you and what you sell and what you do and how you do it. And I think it's great to be able to put your voice out there. The truth is most people are lonely. They're not alone, but they are lonely. They don't feel seen and they don't feel heard, especially in entrepreneurship. Mm. There are challenges there that you just cannot talk to your mom about. I mean, you can, and she'll tell you she loves you, 
she doesn't have a, a frame of reference of what's mm-hmm. actually going through what, what you're going through and how to fix it and, and the problems. And, you know, how many coaches really give you access to them? You get in these high ticket, twenty, thirty thousand dollars programs. And I mean, you meet with them what once a month, twice a month. You don't have access to these people to see what yep. they're thinking or what they're feeling. And so, you know, I really decided I was going to use Facebook as like a diary of sorts. I was yes. going to make sure that how I felt was obvious and to start weeding people in and out in lieu of a website. I also decided that I wasn't going to give up on my daily goal. So maybe 12, 13 years ago, I set a daily goal of making three people laugh a day. So that's just my baseline daily goals. Just one of the things I do every single day. In addition to sending 42 DMs, which is a story for another day, probably, but I decided I wasn't going to stop getting my three laughs a day, but it was going to be harder because I couldn't see people. So it's like, maybe I need to post something funny every day to make sure that like I'm meeting my objective. You know, I think the biggest thing is for us to get out of our own way. I think most of us could encourage engagement on our posts, but we come from the wrong angle. We post so that people like we post so that people engage. I post so that people feel seen and heard mm. and aren't alone. My motivation is different. And if you have a motivation of, I want to be my authentic self and I want to show that it is safe for an introvert to be visible, it is safe. I have to show that. I can't just say that. I can't just say, I coach introverts and I tell them it's safe online. I can't do that if I'm hiding. Yeah. I can't do that if I'm hiding. And a lot of us, are kind of working against what we claim is the mission statement of our business. We sell people, oh, you know, there's all this money out here, but secretly we don't have any savings or, or IRA. We tell women, oh, I help women make look their best, but we ain't combed our hair in a week. Like a lot of us are doing things for our audience that we are not doing for ourselves. Yep. And I won't say it's disingenuous, but it, it works against you. Mm-hmm. And I think people engage and they like engaging and they want to engage one because it's interesting and it's constant. It gives you something to do and something to read, but two, because it's obvious that I give a damn and I'm really transparent and I'm really honest. And I say stuff online that people don't say like that they are struggling yes. with hyperachievement syndrome and that they are literally having to strike things from their list. If it kills them, because if they don't, it'll kill them too. Very few people are just, honest that they have coaches and that they're getting help that all these ideas aren't bespoke you know I'm I don't create a lot of ideas people don't believe that I'm not my husband's he's an idea factory I'm not my best skill is restorative I solve problems that's my skill unfortunately as an adept problem solver I attract problems right problems that want to be solved so you have to just ask yourself in earnest is what you're doing online in alignment with your values and goals? Or are you a whole different person in real life than you are online? I'm the same person online that I am in real life. And so it's not hard for me when people say, oh, I struggle with coming up with content. That's weird because humans have like 30,000 thoughts a day. So I find it hard to believe that one of them couldn't make it on your Facebook page. (laughs) Yeah. But what's really happening is that their inner critic is telling them no one cares what you have to think. Yep. It has to be perfect. It has to be coiffed. It has to be curated. It has to have hashtags. It has to be at a certain time of day. People literally DM me that. What's the best time of day? And I'm like, do you understand it's a different time all over the world all the time? Like, 
what do you, I'm mean, just, that, like, that's ridiculous. Like, when it's noon in Alaska, it's tomorrow <laughs> in Australia. So how could you possibly pick the right time? Well, people are busy in the morning. Aren't they busy all day? I, I, don't, I don't, just post it. Just, just post it. Facebook is a computer driven by an algorithm. If people start engaging with your stuff, they'll promote your stuff no matter what. I posted at midnight last night and it's already got 50 comments on it. I doubt that people were up at midnight, but Facebook is like, hey, she's an engager. I need to push her content up Mm -hmm. in front of other people who posted this morning because people like what she posts. So if you can just get out of your own mindset, you know, suspend the belief that your social media profile has to be perfect. Yeah. That alone would, would net people tens of thousands of dollars. Seriously. Like actually though, because that is a question I always get when I'm ever, whenever I'm on a podcast is how did you grow your Instagram following? Well, I used it as a diary since 2011. You know, I talk about my Crohn's disease and having accidents in the elevators and corporate jobs and things that no one would ever share on Instagram because that's who I am. Uh, you know, and just like you said, Natalie doesn't post like inspirational posts on Instagram. This girl is real honest. And like, if someone doesn't like her, they're unfollowing, but look how many people like you, right? Because you're real. And how much real do we get on social anymore? None. We get a lot of reels, but we don't get <laughs> none. <laughs> you know, we don't people, get don't, people don't think there's any merit in it. They're like, well, no one's going to listen to me. And I'm like, you haven't given them the option. And they're also scared of the hate which is real. You know, the funny thing is I haven't seen much hate on your account and I've never gotten knock on all the wood. I've never gotten much hate. I've never had anyone say you're crazy. You're fat or you're crazy. Nothing. But I look at accounts where people are curated and not being real. And it happens all the time. And this is what I'm about to say. The accounts that seem to get the trolls and haters are the coiffed, you know, Brazilian butt lifted, airbrushed makeup, laser hair, you know, people who don't have pores, like, you know, like you, you see these people, those tend to be the accounts that draw hatred and vitriol. So to some degree, any celebrity account, I mean, it could be a celebrity. Everyone loves Jamie Foxx probably has haters on his account just because they want attention and his account draws millions of people. So I do think there is a point, maybe, there's some amount of following or, or largesse or celebrity yeah. that might a- attract the occasional troll. I do and, believe that. And you know what? I've gotten DMs where people are psycho. <laughs> like I had a DM where I was pregnant and someone messaged me saying, how could I be posting about it? Cause she's infertile. You know, like I'm very sensitive to that, but like, uh, um, what? <laughs> what? And then like, t- like this whole big long troll message about how I'm the worst person in the world. Cause I posted that I was pregnant delete button is right there, block and delete. And then they go away and they're gone. And my thoughts continue. My personality doesn't change just like yours. And some of your posts have triggered me for sure. And that's the beauty of being real, because then you could say, first of all, how cool that Natalie's standing up here and writing these posts that are triggering, because that means she's being real. Number two, what in that post is triggering me? What do I need to work on on myself that like this money mindset or this like calling me out, then people are actually getting transformation just from a Facebook post, you know, or just from an Instagram post versus spending $20,000 to have a coach meet with you once a month and tell you, <laughs> tell you whatever it is. It's really I mean, and in the end, 
I have a life for me. I only have this one life. This is all I get. And if I have to pretend and put on a happy face, I could just stay in corporate. Like, what's the point of starting your own business if you're going to tread lightly? Ever so often, I do get people who try to challenge, you know, they they give in their feelings about something that they've done. But when, when we get to the bottom of it, they're unhappy with something, right? Yeah. So I made a post about sales calls. And I put, if you have to convince on a call, you won't close. You won't close and convince on the same call. It's impossible. And this guy was like, that's not true. I, I talk and I educate my clients and then I move to this and then I move to that. Oh, okay, so what's your close rate yeah. on your sales calls? And he was like, well, what does that matter? You're trying to disprove my point. You're saying that you convince and close routinely on sales calls. I'm just asking, how often does that work for you? And that's when he had to sheepishly admit that it only worked about 20% of the time. Mm. And yeah. I'm like, so... That's not even a coin toss. So you're saying of 10 people who get on the phone with you, you're able to arm twist two of them. <laughs> yeah, literally. I don't yeah. think that's working. And I was like, wouldn't it be better? Because there's five stages of buying. There's awareness, consideration, intent, purchase, loyalty. Wouldn't it be better if your content moved them from awareness of their problem to considering fixing the problem to intent. By the time I get on sales calls, people already have the intent to hire someone. If not me, someone. Yes. So they're either vetting me for good fit or vetting my program for good fit. And once the website is up, they won't have to vet the program for good fit because they'll be able to read all about it, right? And apply and et cetera. Why would you want a system that only works one fifth of the time. And why would you be fighting for that belief? It's so right. interesting. It is interesting. How many broken beliefs people will fight for. They will, mm. they will cling to something. And I divorce mindsets. I divorce my clients from the mindset that they can't charge top dollar, that they don't deserve premium clients, that wealth is for white men. It is just not for them. I make people separate from that belief. And everyone just isn't ready to. And that's Okay, but I'd rather you be triggered, go to sleep at night, wake up the next day, see my post about how if you're an expert, you won't be cheap. And if you're cheap, you're not an expert and go, damn, she didn't hit me in the head again. I thought I was an expert. I'm like, you're an expert, but you charge a $50 an hour. I don't think so. You don't sound like an expert. And, you know, eventually people will say, Natalie, you know what? This helped me. You're right. When I was new, I didn't price myself like an expert and I got nightmare clients. And I wish I had met you sooner. So even if you read it, you know, my coach, Darnielle, her hook is that six figures is small business poverty. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, I understand that, but like I had hustled so hard to make six figures. I was very offended by that statement because I've never even made six figures in corporate. And here this woman telling me it still ain't good enough. I didn't appreciate it. It pissed me off. But then I started paying all these bills. Okay. Started and I making six figures as an entrepreneur, right? And you're like, damn. This is nothing. This is not yeah. enough money. And so I had to recognize she was right. And I signed up for the program. Right. So having triggering content can be a good thing. Yeah, it is. No, it is a good thing. It's so funny. We're talking about this because episode 67 is called keeping your high paying corporate job is keeping you poor. Your high paying corporate job is keeping mm-hmm. you poor. What are your thoughts? I guess it depends. It depends on the mindset of this person. I've met people who are directors in HR making $230,000 a year, 
They have married a man who's a physician. They are maxing out 401ks, maxing out IRAs, buying Airbnbs, and they are set to be work optional in their 40s, early 50s. Everybody let's talk about let's talk about the fifty no. to hundred, maybe twenty k corporate worker who does oh. have a dream to be an entrepreneur. Oh no, that was me. I was making fifty one thousand dollars a year yeah. when I quit my job. Oh yeah, no, if you're no, if you're making less than six figures, then you're absolutely not in that space. And if you have a dream to be an entrepreneur, but I think it's also important what I would caution that person: one, don't quit your job too soon. Yeah. If you're making 50K, you're probably on the cusp of financial insecurity. So make sure you're not financially insecure, meaning pay up some bills, pay down your debt, pay your mortgage or your car note for a few months, start researching insurance. Our COBRA is $1,600 a month. It's more than my mortgage, my student loan, and my car payment combined. It is huge chunk of money. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't even include like out-of-pocket therapy appointments or prescriptions, like all in, we're 2000 in healthcare for two people with a median age of 38 with no chronic health conditions. I mean, it's ridiculous. We're paying out a fortune in healthcare. I would not tell somebody just up and quit their job, but I will say you need to be focused on not just replacing your corporate income. So my catalyst into entrepreneurship was I just need to make sure that I'm making more money, that I'm secure financially. But it needs to be more than that because what I did was just create a better job for myself. I just created a job that I never really got time off from because at least you you got paid less per hour, let's say. (laughs) Right. Well, you know, and so I raised my prices and got paid more. So it's great. I do bring in more money, but I don't have more time. And that was really kind of what pushes most people is the freedom Mm -hmm. into entrepreneurship. So I think it's important to always be doing a time audit. Like I said, that's why I hired a rest coach. People are like, what the heck is that? But I'm like, if you knew how I was, you would know why I had to pay someone to tell me to rest. So I'm recovering from my hyperachievement syndrome and really careful now about what what I'm willing to extend myself for, what time I'm willing to make for other people and then what time I need to keep for myself. Mm. That It's such an interesting topic to me to talk about that. You're making 50K, you're making 70K, you're making 100K in a corporate job, then take away taxes, then take away anything else you have to pay for and the people you're surrounded with and the mindsets that are around you. And can you ever, ever even make a hundred K a month in a corporate job? Like even dreaming about that, that's not possible. I mean, unless you, you're the CEO, even then I don't think they make that much. No, they don't. Well, for tax reasons, nobody wants wages of a hundred K. So CEOs, they'll give them 200, 300,000 as a base pay. And then give them tons of stock options, mm. of company, car, expense account, because all of those are taxed right. differently. Nobody wants a million dollar W-2 income. Nobody, because yeah. the tax on that's going to be half. Like you're paying out 500000 in tax. It, it would be a nightmare. But you're right. I mean, they, they really get creative with the type of compensation that they have. And you're not going to make that in corporate. But I think it's a bigger thing, right? Most people don't even want to make 100 k a month. They, right. they haven't really expanded their mind into that even being possible. Mm. Like, it just seems so ridiculous. Like, it's just a huge amount of money. And most Does of it seem ridiculous been- to you? No, no, no. No, no, no. I'm gonna get a corporate speaking gig. Somebody's gonna pay me a ton of money. Yeah, it's gonna be yeah, great. Yeah. But but when I was making forty, fifty thousand dollars a year, 
If it takes you all year to make this money, you start to think it takes time to make money. That's where we start the problem. We say, oh, when I want to make more money, I have to invest more time. It's a continuum. If I want to make 100000 I have to work two years. If I want to make 200000 I have to work four years. We keep adding more time. We're multiplying the wrong way. And entrepreneurship says, no, if you can compress time for your clients, that's better, right? I'm about to launch a 10-week program that's really eight weeks on, two weeks off, like two weeks of break. It's going to be between six and 8K. And part of why I'm going to be able to command this higher price is because it does get a result in such a fast period of time. People are going to pay more to get a result faster, yeah, not longer. So what we've been taught that we've got to do more and more work and it's got to take longer and longer to do it. I remember being in corporate and getting penalized for being an efficient worker. Right. That's exactly what I spoke about. I could open an account faster. I could get the work done faster. So I had to help more people. Yeah. And I'm like, well, this isn't fair. Why am I doing more work? But I'm getting the same amount of pay that everybody else is getting. Plus your empl- your your coworkers are talking behind your back, right? Because they're, you know, now you have to make them work harder. That's exactly what, what we spoke about or I spoke about in the last um, the last episode. So what are your thoughts on time equals money? I think ideas equal money. Mm-hmm. I don't think time and money have the type of linear relationship that people think. Not linear, no. No, it's not linear. There is a correlation, but it's not in the way that people think. And I invest more time than I make more money or I wait a longer period of time and then I've accumulated more money. People like aches and pains. People think when you turn 70, you have aches and pains. You have aches and pains because of inflammation and arthritis. It's nothing to do with age, but that's just what we've associated with old age. So that's kind of how people have done with wealth takes a long time to get it. And when you're 70, you have it. Right. So you shouldn't even, you shouldn't even be trying to have it at 30 because it's not really, it's not possible. And if you believe that, then you won't have it. It won't be possible. So then you get all these people who are literally toiling away and and socking away money slowly, but surely and methodically and wonder why it doesn't ever turn into wealth for them. It can't turn into wealth that way. You've got to embody the type of person that deserves a lot of money without having to exchange all of your time for it. I have a coach that has a coach that has a VIP day that is $25,000 an hour. That's amazing. And people buy it. Yeah. You send the wire transfer and then you get the link. Because how many hours does she save them, right? How much time does she save them from that? And that's just it. What is the time saving? And people, you know, somebody DM me, they were like, can you charge too much for coaching? And I was like, too much for who you can charge too much to your audience for sure. Right. Cartier makes a million dollar watch. Well, that's certainly too much for me. It's probably not too much for Jay-Z. It's probably not too much for Rick Ross. It's probably not too much for Chris Brown. It's just too much for me. So if you're trying to get people, you know, school teachers to get into your high ticket mastermind and convince them that they can stop teaching and in seven days have a million dollars. Well, yeah, you probably are going to have a hard time selling that because one, it doesn't align with the way that they've made money their whole life. And two, they probably don't have a hundred K sitting around as disposable income to pay you. It doesn't mean the program's bad. It just means you need to up-level your audience. So I don't think too expensive is, is a thing. I think you can sell anything at any price. You just got to figure out who you're selling it to. And most of us don't know enough wealthy people to even know how to market to them. Right. That, that's so we're a using, whole other story. Yeah, yeah. We're using middle-class marketing to try to sell to an affluent clientele. Yeah. Yeah. And I like the time is money thing for me. 
it, where that does time equals money is more so money equals time. Like time is the only thing we have that's finite. You know, we have, you can make more money. You can always make more money. You can be homeless on the streets and be a millionaire after, you know, there is, that is possible, but you can't get back yesterday. There's nothing you can do. No amount of creating, no amount of thoughts, no amount of ideas will get back yesterday. So when you can give someone back time, no matter what you charge, there's someone who, who can use that. Are you marketing to them? That's a different story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's wrap up. And what you mentioned just now, I thought was such a good, such a good point. So maybe if you can give one thought on what should someone be doing, who is trying to market to the more affluent type of consumer that you don't see is happening out there. We forget that affluent people have lots of money. What they don't have is time. And so if you market low ticket or mid ticket, and you take a really long time to get results or you make the program really cumbersome and confusing or you make your sales page really long and application and all these hoops that people have to jump through. And a fluent person might think, I don't really have time for this, this process. And so having a clean, streamlined sales page, having an, a funnel that is easy, having branding that looks luxe and not cluttered and not clip art and not garish bright colors that you know look at tiffany look at cartier look at the way that they do their branding look at rolls royce it's a very simple clean aesthetic it's not mm-hmm. bubbly cutesy hot pink you know it's, it's, it's just not and i think a lot of us are trying to pivot a quirky brand or an everyday every man brand into an affluent client and two pricing and and using the price as a as a selling point as a differentiator oh for only five thousand dollars you can get blank 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 i don't care what it costs i'm looking for a specific solution and so what i found is that people will pay more money to have a very specific problem solved i have a vip day that is literally i will go through your facebook account with you I will tell you who to friend and who not to friend, how to sift through all these profiles, how to start crafting individual DMs to people where you can be cranking out 20, 30, 40 a day in in less than an hour. How do you start attracting the people that already follow you? How can you look at a business owner's profile and guess within 100K or 50K what their revenue is? I have a VIP day that is a Facebook analysis and how to use friend filter. And people pay and people pay more than they used to pay me for three months of coaching because in one day they can be like, okay, bet Natalie is right. Natalie is, is using Facebook to make money. I want to use Facebook to make money. Teach me your tactic. It's a very specific problem. It's not a general how to use Facebook course with a hundred modules and 30 videos that people have to sift through and try to find what they're looking for. So we just have to change who we sell to. Are you selling to someone who views time as finite and money as infinite and thus is willing to pay to compress time? Or are you still marketing to a person like I used to be, who's lower middle class, who views time as infinite, i.e. I'll figure it out myself, I'll do it myself, but money is finite. I only get paid 1200 every two weeks. You'll get it when I get it. You can't get blood from a turnip. What kind of person are you marketing to and stand firm? Don't be wishy-washy. You high ticket, but then you get on the phone and you slash the price by two thirds. You you discounting. Well, okay. Well, now you're saying you're not really high ticket. You're kind of whatever ticket I can afford. Well, if that's the case, I want a deal. I can only afford a thousand dollars. Now you get hagglers. Now you got a flea market 
vibe in your business. And I just don't see that many rich people at flea markets. Personally, when I go, I don't see many Jags and, and it's yeah. just not where the super rich crowd hangs out that, that I know. And so I think we've got to really be confident in what we're selling and how we're selling it and, and admit that maybe we have a money mindset challenge and we don't really believe that our product is worth high ticket or that a high ticket person would see value in our offer and maybe heal that issue, fix that problem first before you go making all these posts and wonder why they don't land and getting yourself kind of in a cycle of, of discouragement. You are phenomenal. I love podcasting with you. I have so many more questions. I do want to ask the one, one more, cause you mentioned a couple of times on this podcast, but you said you send 42 cold or warm DMS on Facebook a day. Mm. And also what do those kind of look like? I don't know about cold or warm. Maybe they're lukewarm. lukewarm. Um, I think the goal is to create authority. So if you don't know who I am and you've never seen me before and I knock on your door, are you going to open the door in 2022? You might talk to me through your ring doorbell, but you're not opening the door, right? But if you've seen me everywhere, you've seen my face on billboards, if I'm Publishers Clearinghouse, if I'm Drake, you open in the damn door. So what I teach my clients to do is how do you gain authority? How are you perceived as an expert? How do you become ubiquitous online so that when you knock on people's door, they're receptive to it? So I don't really consider anything that I do cold, but I do initiate quite a few of these conversations based on how people have maybe interacted with me in the comments or in paid groups that I'm in, right? Like I wait until people are aware of my presence but no, I'm not that person that friends you at 701 and DMs you at 702. I hate that crap. And I am desperately trying to teach against these ridiculous tactics that immediately bombard people with decisions. Hey, I'm yes. Natalie and I sell everything. And do you have time to talk today? I only need seven minutes of your time. There's a thing going on now with this seven minute sales. I got call. a 17 minute one. I emailed today. Seven Can you have 17 minutes? minutes? Shut up. <laughs> so, but, well, but like I said, what, how, how could you close someone in seven minutes? Yeah. That's not even a healthy sales call. I think, um, and the next time we meet, we'll talk about that. You know, the anatomy of a sales call, because yes, you, you cannot determine if a person is a good fit for you or your program in seven minutes. You cannot. You cannot do a vibe check. You cannot set future expectations. It is impossible. And I don't like to say that word very often. I don't care if they come to you pre-sold. I don't care if they've heard you on podcasts. You can't even go through all your next steps and how to pay in seven minutes. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And so when people start off with gimmicky crap, I know they have no substance and no value. But the idea that it's so commonplace to just be DMing strangers with this bombarding them with invasive questions. When did you start? How long have you been in business? Who do you serve? What do you do? Why are you asking me what I do like I don't have a very thoughtful, crafted bio on my page? It literally says master sales coach, mindset mentor, dynamic speaker. It tells you what I do in plain English. So I know you haven't really read what I'm about. And, and that's where I'm different. I send people personalized voice memos after I have done some moderate amount of research, even if it's 60 seconds, a glance. I see where you're from Nashville. I'm only an hour and a half from Nashville, small world. Something that lets me know that this isn't a message you send to everybody. Yeah. And that you're not just in it to make money off of me. If you only see me as a wallet, we're not going to jive. Mm -hmm. I see my people as connections. 
of, of valuable containers of, of knowledge and wisdom and connections. I'm an introvert. Somebody going to have to connect me to the right person for me to get my first 100K gig because left up to my own devices, I'm not going to meet them. And I, I, I acknowledge that. But so many of us are going about networking the wrong way. We got a handout. We got a gimme mentality. Tell me about your business. Tell me about your products. Tell me about your service. Join my Facebook group. Here's what you can do for me. And it's like, hold on. Do I know you? Do I know you while you're in my DMs telling me what I'm going to do? I got one while we were literally on this podcast saying, I hope I see you in 30 minutes for the mixer for some club. I'm not even a member. I'm like, why the hell would I be at your mixer? But that's so presumptuous. I have nine tasks today. I have back-to-back appointments. How rude of you to assume that I have nothing better to do than to come to your mixer when you've given me not one value add, not one reason why it would help me. It'll help you look good for me to show up. But what's in it for me? You didn't even bother to tell me. You just drop your little copy and paste crap in my DMs. Honey, I will block so fast. And at this point, I'm really about to just start blasting people and using it as content. You should. I, you should. It would be awesome. done. <laughs> oh my gosh, Natalie. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on this podcast. Thank you for rescheduling this podcast. What? How many times? Three, four, five. I don't know. I've 20. Had, I don't know. But thank 20. you. For I'm so thankful that you didn't think I was crazy. No, I'm I'm in the same boat. My schedule is also back to back to back. So that's something that we're both working on. Maybe I need your rest coach. <laughs> but thank you. Is there anything that you want to let the listeners know where to find you? Any courses coming up? Anything that you can promote or anything like that? The stage is yours. Yeah, um, the new website will be up soon. For now, you can go to unapologeticwealth.com and you can find out about my offers. I'm kicking off the next cohort of Worthy of Wealth in June. It is going to be a program for educated, introverted women who are ready to divorce themselves from the thought process that they don't deserve clients who can pay them top dollar. And they want to step into premium pricing so that they can have the wealth they deserve and desire. So I'm elated to be launching that. In the meantime, follow me on Clubhouse, on Instagram. Um, I'm at Unapologetic Wealth or my very hilarious Facebook friend um, thread. I have maybe I have room for maybe 220 something (laughs) more friends and I'm going to max out. And I'm actually really relieved. I better make sure I'm sure we're friends. I better make yeah. sure we're friends you though. Cause I could not been, miss that out. <laughs> I'm dreaming of the day where I'm like, well, cause I have a, I have a program. I use friend filter. And so it removes inactive users and kind of oh. adds like it does a thing, but I'm, I'm going to be excited when I max out. Cause then I won't have to make all these decisions. <laughs> well, listen, if any of you know of corporate speaking gigs or speaking gigs, that's something Natalie's looking for. So if you are in corporate, I know that we talked a little bit about that, but if you can reach out to Natalie, if you have opportunities for speaking, that's something she's looking yeah, for. I so, love speaking about sales. So how to see sales as service, how not to be afraid of your prospects how to ask for the sale in an ethical way using permission-based tactics. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. amazing. And as you could tell on this podcast, she is phenomenal with that. All of her, everything she mentioned will be linked in the show notes below and make sure you go follow her. Make sure you can get in that last 200 of her Facebook friends because you are not going to regret it. And remember, dream big, it's possible for you. And the next version of success is around the corner.